Did we just witness the greatest series ending shot of all time? Is it clear that Dame is better than Russ? Can the Blazers get to the Western Conference Finals? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. We are doing a late night show. As always, I'm joined by Jared Weiss of The Athletic, and we just felt compelled to sit down and talk a little bit about what we just witnessed. Jared, have you ever seen anything like the end of the Thunder Trailblazers Game 5? We were talking about it before we went on the air. I don't think there's ever been a shot like that that I can think of where, I mean, there's been deep shots because of the necessity, but he deliberately took a step back from, we're going to say 40 feet. It was 37. Let's just call it a 40-footer. So, or like 35-footer, whatever you want to do. I'm going to call it a 40-footer as so I'm rounding down on this one. But uh, it was it was just so ridiculous. The audacity of it was just so <laughs> ridiculous. And, you know, I feel like Dame is the only other guy, or I'm sorry, Steph is the only other guy that would have that audacity. But, hey, frankly, Dame has been in a pretty comparable league to Steph for a little while now. I don't think there's obviously anyone quite in that league, but if there's ever been anyone as, I guess, the 1B to Steph's 1A, it's got to be Dame Lillard, and he showed why. Well, there's a lot of subtext, what, what you're saying there. We can unpack in a minute, but let's just talk about the, the uh, situation in case people were sleeping or whatever, just are under a rock. Uh, tie game after being down by 15 midway through the fourth. And it looked, I had texted another buddy of mine saying, uh, I, you know, it's over. We have to go back to game six. And I almost felt like the refereeing was strange to me. It felt like, were they trying to get it to a game six? Because, you know, <laughs> seriously, there was weird because they were home. So you'd expect them to get the benefit of the doubt on some of the calls. And they were just head scratching weird stuff that they weren't calling. And they were, I'm sure the Thunder have a couple of uh, their own versions of calls they didn't like either, but it was weird. But, okay, they come all the way back. It's tied. I think 115 all, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and what we haven't really seen is a 9-10 dribble isolation for 10 seconds in place and then just step back Harden style for the three. Michael Jordan did it with a crossover step back from 20 down by one, and that was to win the finals. So that probably keeps it above this shot maybe. Um, Now... Kyrie does it in game seven of the finals, but there was 50 seconds left in the game. So I think that that, wouldn't you say that knocks it down a peg a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see, I totally see what you're saying, but just like the degree of difficulty, the depth, it was just so insane. I mean, those shots were amazing shots and the timeliness was so vital, but those shots were not at the degree of difficulty that this is. This was at, what I would guess would be the highest possible degree of difficulty, except for one of those insane, like, quick catch, can't even set up shots. But this was a, a step back, tightly contested by one of the best defenders in the NBA from as far out as we've ever seen a guy really shoot the ball. Yeah, and to his right, which is what Kyrie did as well. But again, to the right is harder for a righty. So, yeah, for an intentional shot where they had the time and they decided to do that, it, it's got to be you know, the greatest way, and also to end the series like that. Uh, now, we've seen Damian Lillard do this before. He did a catch-and-shoot against Houston a few years ago. That was equally shocking because you couldn't believe it was over like that. But this one had just more drama. It was, you know, mano a mano. We had the Russell Westbrook thing, which is sort of we can start to talk about as far as when you're talking about 1A, 1B with Steph and Dame. Um, I think it's clear 
that Damian Lillard put his stamp on the NBA once and for all, that he is definitely above Russ at the very least. And I don't think you're going to argue with me on that one, are you? That Dame is above Russ? Yeah. No. And I I guess I would fall on the Russ hater camp, uh, but that's a really hard one for me to say because Russ's totality is so insane. But I feel like this this series kind of epitomized Everything that I've ever really said about Russ is that he is remarkable in his capability and destructive in his totality, I guess. And Dame can't do a lot of the things that Russ can't do, but that's why you have a team. Right. You have a team to take care of that other stuff. And Dame is the best at what he does. But Dame, you know, if we're going to talk about like, you know, pound for pound athletic ability, he is... He really is an athlete. He really can get off the ground. He can hang in there. He can do a lot of those things, too. He might be an inch or so shorter than Russ. Um, but I was actually surprised because someone called me out. We were talking, uh, you know, Russ missed three or four layups tonight and out of control. And then he had another one that was a charge in the fourth quarter that was crucial. Uh, just flying in there. And there's another one he should have gotten the charge. They didn't give it to him, but I think he missed it. So, um you know, Dame to me feels like under control, finishes better. But it turns out in the uh, until tonight at least, uh, Russell Westbrook was shooting I think fifty three percent at the rim, whereas Dame was at like forty eight, and that was shocking to me just by my mind's eye thinking about the, the series because I've seen Russ miss his, his fair share at the rim, and you know Dame has been so on fire in so many of these games it was weird to to do that. But I must acknowledge that that Russ did shoot better at least through through four games at the rim. You know, what you're saying about the athleticism thing, like Dame, when he gets that lane, he gets up there and he throws it down. Uh, He just, he's not going to, I mean, he will posterize, I guess, once in a while, but he's not going to necessarily try to explode through contact in the way that Russ can. I think that's where that separator is. Um, And he he had some wild finishes. He had a, was it, did Paul George block him at that layup attempt late in the Uh, game? No, I think it was Jeremy Um, Grant. And yeah, that way, that was really when I was like, oh, this is over. You know, he just went (laughs) to the hole and, you know, got stuck, didn't really have anywhere to throw it, just threw it up. You know, usually you see him hanging on the way down, make a pass or figure another way out to get it out. But, uh, yeah, that was if you were a Portland Trailblazer fan, you would have been that would have been a dark days of the game right there where it just felt like it was over. Um, we're, I'm going to call up the play by play in a second. I can tell you exactly when that was. But, um, yeah, it, it was uh, I think that's also what was most shocking about it. Right. Not not even the fact that there's a 37 footer to win the game in the series, but it was like they were down 15, you know, not even six minutes before that. That was also stunning. Oh, and yeah. they had taken a 12-point lead just before that. That's right. <laughs> you know, it was I'm just, it's a, it was mentally exhausting. I don't even know how they finished it. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I, I've just got a text, and, and people were around the team were just, they, they, are, they already sound just like, like uh, there's no words. It's like speechless. You just don't know what to, to make of it. I mean, I, I think Oklahoma's kind of core identity just didn't really hold up the way that it had so for so long earlier in the season in this series. But also just tonight, I mean, CJ came through huge when, I mean, Dame entered the, the fourth quarter with, what, 42 points? And then CJ really took over from there. There was just, there wasn't a moment for them to really catch their breath, Oklahoma did. And they had a couple times where they ran away with it. That was incredible. But then 
Portland just hit back and they were running out. They were chasing down loose balls so effectively. And there was, frankly, there was a lot of physical and kind of like wild, I wouldn't call it sloppy, but wild play Mm -hmm. at the end of this one. And some of it was just kind of like the 50 50 ball getting to the lucky team. But of course, you create your own luck in the NBA, right? So, I mean, this one I think was just, it was, I mean, I thought it was like borderline perfect basketball. It was thrilling two extremely kind of like hyped up intense athletic teams just going all out. So I don't really have many negatives from this game except for, you know, just Oklahoma. They had a couple plays that are kind of rust plays that they, they blew it. And they, um, I mean, Portland, the shots that they hit were kind of incredible shots for the most part. Yeah. Well, remember they had an eight point lead with uh, under four minutes to go. Uh, Paul George misses two free throws in a row that were, you know, everything becomes crucial. That's a big one, yeah. And those were big. That was with two minutes and 15 seconds to go. And they had a six-point lead. So, you know, it might not have even felt like the end of the world at that point. But, man, would they like those two points back. Uh, that was a big one. Then Russell Westbrook comes flying in there. And, you know, and by the way, CJ had a guard rust. They didn't put Dame on him. They put CJ on him. And he really did well to be physical, to hold his ground. Uh, He directed Russ sort of into Dame, who took the charge. And that was probably the first call I felt like, okay, because it was, you know, block charges are always ridiculously, you know, someone's going to be angry. And uh, that was the first time I thought, okay, the home team is going to maybe get the benefit of the doubt there a little bit on that one. Um, and then, yeah, CJ comes and hits this awesome, like, floater and bank shot, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, one of those rare off the glass ones from the 45 degree angle you don't see anymore uh, that cut it to four. I mean, Harkless, Mo Harkless hit four free throws down the stretch, too. I, I want to give him a lot of props. Uh, but again, there was another time when Harkless got one of his free throws, the uh, trips he got to the line was when uh, they missed the shot, and Russell Westbrook comes flying in there and just knocks him over after he kind of had the rebound. And, you know, it just gave them two free throws when they, they, you know, with the clock not moving. I mean, that's it's just crucial stuff that just shouldn't happen. And just the, the whole way that, like, the two-for-one series was executed at the end there, that was another oh, frustrating yeah. one. Yeah, so there was, like, a lot of the kind of, like, coaching hallmarks that didn't really get taken care of late. Right, and then and what, this, what you're describing was it felt like OKC got the two-for-one. Paul George hits a jump shot to get up, go up by two with about 39 seconds left, right? That feels like that's the two-for-one. And they let Damian Lillard come right down and within seven seconds score a layup. And uh, it was a really nice layup, by the way. Like, he twisted. Like, that was beautiful. Yeah, he twisted to over to his right or something and then flip, flipped it in. I can't wait for you to do this video, man, because the video is just going to be epic. But, um, yeah, and so they, they, they now, the only thing they didn't, they couldn't let happen they did. They, you know, they had to slow him down at least for another four or five seconds, and then that was it. Then they could actually, you know, they could survive that. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to ten dollars for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. 
Robinhood is giving listeners at B-Ball Breakdown a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at breakdown.robinhood.com. Uh, you know, speechless. I really, it's a, an incredible game. Um, and, you know, is it karma? Are the basketball gods rewarding them? I mean, you <laughs> saw what they were doing, like, in OKC. And I, I mentioned it. Now, listen, I love trash talk. I think that's, a you know, part of the game. But just something about the way that OKC was doing it with the Rock the Baby stuff, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it would anger the basketball gods without question. I think this was for Barry Trammell, obviously. I wonder if Next gonna, question. <laughs> yeah, right. And if you guys don't know that, here's a guy who I guess the whole thing was he must have he writ, he wrote an article that was probably critical of Russ, and it was probably how many years ago? Do we know? I, I'm not even sure because I I thought it was connected to, originally to the uh, Mr. Unreliable headline with Kevin Durant, but I don't think it is. I think I mean, even Barry Trammell apparently wasn't really sure what it was related to. Okay, and but it's been a, it's been a couple seasons at least, right? Uh, apparently two. Right. And then just to finish that, in case you don't know, Barry Trammell is a writer for the uh, local paper in OKC, and Russell Westbrook simply refuses to answer any of his questions. He's a beat writer. It's his job. He needs to cover the team. And um, Russ just refuses to answer. And it's weird that, like, no one really knows specifically why. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on there that I feel like, you know, listen, it's really great to point to an example here where, oh, the good guys won or whatever, the guys who are professional. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't help but notice that. Like, they, there's a lot of calls that were going against them, and they sort of, you know, they might have thrown their hands up a little bit, but they got right back down and they played defense and they did it the right way, uh, and they were rewarded. So this is one of those examples where, you know, that kind of behavior does get rewarded. Uh, it doesn't always, but this was it. And, uh, and man, I think we all got rewarded because, um, yeah, Great, the greatest closeout game I think we're ever going to see. Yeah, and and also just I mean, there's already been so many like Russell Westbrook postmortems even coming into this game. I I really don't think that uh, the media should be trashing Russell Westbrook because of the way that he's treating other media members. He should be trashed for the merit of his play. And like we we all have <laughs> tremendous we all have tremendous respect for Russell Westbrook as a person who he is with his you know, friends and family. What he does for the community is amazing. And he's known for that. And I totally respect the guy basically being the kind of person who only cares about his friends and family, doesn't care about strangers, especially people that like want something from him, like people from the media. So there's no problem with that. And he is more than free to conduct himself the way he's doing, but it's going to backfire on him when, you know, when this stuff happens and he doesn't play well. And if he performed like this, but he had the good grace, he, he had the media on his side, the narr narrative would be totally different, and maybe well, he doesn't care because he has the money. But all the NBA votes matter, you know. So all this, like all service matter, all this kind of stuff matters to him at the end of the of his career. He's at the point of his career where he's a Hall of Famer already, so I guess those accolades aren't going to matter too much, or it's not going to make and break at this point. Like he's already established he's a Hall of Famer, uh, but. I mean, like, that stuff matters at some point, and you recognize at some point that it matters, or you're just a complete curmudgeon all the way through and you never give a crap, like uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's plenty of other good examples. Yeah, and you know, what you said was right. I mean, he is an exemplary person off the court. I think I'd probably like to hang out with him. He seems like a kind of fun, nutty guy, uh, you know, but he does let anger fuel him in very specific situations on the court a lot and then in, in that situation with the uh, media there. And uh, that's just not really healthy either. So um, I would just, you know, lighten up a little bit, uh, have, have, eat a Snickers and uh, answer Barry's questions. <laughs>
So maybe um, maybe he's just been hangry this entire time. If he just had one candy bar, everything would change, and he'd be like Dane. Yeah, that's that. You know, it's, uh, it's a countless number of people that have are, don't know that they all they need is a little uh, a little more glucose. Nonetheless, and wait, just just joke aside, just real quick. It's just that like guys like Dame and Steph, they're beloved by the media because of how they work with the media, and their game is easy to sell and it's tantalizing and all that. But there are other guys that kind of perform at like a really high level. They don't quite get that treatment, but like those guys have always been. They've been patient, gracious, available, give great quotes. I mean, like they they make the media love them, and they're smart about it. And frankly, it doesn't even take that much effort if you have just kind of like balanced emotions. Well, and I'll, let me add to that because here's the thing: both Dame and Steph are the kind of players who will come down and just jack up a 35 footer without passing. You better be the best teammate in the world if you're going to do that because you're not going to make them all. And if your big guys don't like you <laughs> and you're doing that, then they're not going to run back hard. They're not going to grab rebounds. So it's almost by default. If you want to play that way, then you better be a great teammate so that people don't, you know, the rest of your teammates don't, don't get pissed at you for taking those shots. Uh, even if you make, you know, your share of them, you know what I mean? So I think that that's also a testament to who they are on different levels. Now, Russell Westbrook hasn't really been that way necessarily to a lot of his teammates. And we've seen, you know, there's been plenty of, uh, you know, well-documented things from Harden to Reggie Jackson and so on. Um, and, you know, I, I think yeah. I think there's more of a competition for resources on the desert island kind of situation because all of his other teammates revere him as kind of the ultimate teammate. And I think it's because Ooh. his uh, Westbrook, like his teammates know that he is going to go balls to the wall and run through a brick wall for them. But like, you know, guys that have to compete with him for touches you're competing with the highest usage guy of all time. So it's going to be problematic if you want to have your career expand, which is Harden and, and, uh, and Reggie uh, Jackson were the two well, had that. There's, uh, there's, there's somebody else, but we haven't mentioned. Well, there's Edith Cancer, and then, you know, well, there's Kevin Durant didn't seem to work out too well within the end. But, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, those are the guys that are competing for the ball, but everybody else seems to love them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. I uh... – Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I think they, they love him, I guess, for that notion of, the, of his audacity, the way he just plays, like you mentioned. But uh, I do think that it wears on people. And I think, I, by the way, I think he's probably gotten better. I think that there were moments earlier in his career where he really was brutal on, on teammates uh, unnecessarily. And I think that he's kind of mellowed on that end a little bit better. So that's good. But he certainly isn't the same kind of guy. I don't think it's certainly in the, on the court that we see Steph and Dame being. And I think, uh, and by the way, Russ doesn't jack up 35 footers off the dribble like that without passing. He'll jack up the 15 footer without dribbling. And that's <laughs> okay. Worse, um, and that's his best shot. So it's like, he should do that. So that's okay. So at any rate, well, what does this mean for the legacy? I mean, I, I know that Charles Barkley said, and he, he, as this was his big announcement, that he was really thinking about it. It's time for Russ to play the two. And I tweeted it out saying, the 2013 coach Nick called wants his idea back because I have been saying that since then. But um, what do you think this means for the franchise? Because it also came up on the on the broadcast afterwards. Uh, Donovan stay or Nick gone? Oh, they, I don't think I would change him. I, I would I would change the rotation. I agree with that. I I was not a coach when I was 12 years or 22 years old or whatever. But I also was saying at the time that Harden's going to be the point guard and they're going to have to move Russ off the ball. And if I remember correctly, I think that's how it was at UCLA with Darren Collison, right? Oh, yeah. Well, so 
that's the investigative reporting I want to do is I want to find out how on day one in the NBA before he had never played the point guard position, he was a point guard. There's an interview I, I saw like at the draft or pre-draft where he already said, I'm the, I'm a point guard. I'm going to play point guard. And it was just weird to me because again, he, he, I think he, I always felt like he'd be much better as a two guard anyway. And when Eric Maynard played alongside him around that time, uh, that was when they were playing really, really well as again. We, and we've seen it with Schroeder a little bit alongside him, although Schroeder had a hard time sort of figuring it out for a lot of the season. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's the answer, but I don't know, if, you know, and, and who knows? And, and after Russ having a shooting season like he did this year, you'd say, oh, how can he possibly be a shooting guard? But perhaps attacking from different spots out of a different part of the offense would yield a higher field goal percentage for him. We've got two second-round series set in stone as the Celtics take on the Bucks and the Sixers play the Raptors starting this weekend. And that means there is only one place to get in on all this action, and it's called betonline.ag. Sports, casino, virtual casino, you name it. Betonline.ag is B-Ball Breakdown's preferred sportsbook online. Place your picks for those games and more this weekend by going online to sign up today at clnsmedia.com slash bball. Try in-game live betting where you can participate in all the action with every play. That's clnsmedia.com slash bball to get a 50% sign-on bonus today. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. I mean, he's a driving kick uh, guy. I mean, that's what most teams are looking for as their two guard nowadays, right? So, you know, it's like you need, you, need, you need guys on the wings that can attack, and that's what he does. Yeah, and by the way, make it work. I believe if he if he caught and shot most of his threes, he probably could be average, right? I think he could get thirty four percent, thirty five percent, if he just you know did a little, much more of the catch and shoot variety. Um, so I mean, yeah. I mean, tonight he had a couple comfortable uh, threes that he stepped into in the fourth quarter, and he hit them both. So yeah, he he doesn't have to be a terrible shooter if he's not running thirty miles an hour and then going into a pull up tightly contested. Yeah. He might be an okay shooter, a passable shooter. Right. Uh, that's that's part of it. He hangs in the air too a little bit on his threes uh, too often. It's kind of uh, inconsistent. So that's the other thing. But again, yeah. But but his catch and shoot was always much better anyway this year. Uh, it's just, it's just the number wasn't high enough to drag up the whole percentage. So, well, all right. Uh, you think Donovan stays put? Here's the thing. You know, Donovan's been there for four years, I, I think. And uh, you know, they, they've kind of you know they've they've now had Paul George for two. Uh, although Paul George might have been injured, he certainly shot well tonight, or he played well tonight. Um, so maybe, I, I'm just wondering if I'm pressed, you thinking, you know, there might be some major changes to kind of mix him up. That said, I guess those major changes certainly aren't going to be Paul George or Russell Westbrook, and that means there's, they don't have too many other assets necessarily that would get get them a, a, thir- a third star, right? Yeah, I mean, they would they could try moving on from Stephen Adams and just try to go as small as they can. I mean, I love Steven Adams, but it just it hasn't been a good year for him. He's still young. He's only 25, I think, right? So, like, he's – even though he looks like he's, like, 85 years old and just experienced, but, like, he's been around for a while. He's still relatively young in his career, and he could continue to get better. Uh, but he, the type of player that he is, it's just hard to win in the playoffs with those guys. And we've been – I feel like we've been talking about that with a lot of different teams this week. So, trying to flip him for – just I guess just someone who's like a really nice perimeter player who you know is going to be a sharpshooter and can defend decently well. 
that's probably that next move at the very least, unless they can swing some sort of huge move. But they're not going to get rid of Russ. They're not going to get rid of PG. As much as people seem to want them to move on from Russ, one, I think you should continue to try to figure out how to make the most of him just because he's so historically talented. And two, he's getting paid so much. And he is he 30 now? I can't remember. He Russ? should be, though. Uh, yeah. something like that. He's been in the league for a well, while now. It's kind of like yeah. Suppose I assume he's thirty now, but so actually pretty, uh, almost certain he's thirty. So it's like at this point, no one's gonna. No, I don't think any team is gonna take him on. There might be one or two, but if they are taking him on, you're probably not getting that much in you know in return for him of value, and you still have to take on a ton of salary too. So it's it's pretty hard to make that work. So I would just I would do at least one more year of trying to make this work. And for OKC, I think they're not trying to necessarily win the title. They just want to have a really competitive team. And I think they, I think ownership would be satisfied with that. Sure. Well, Russ is 30, played 11 seasons so far. Um, and yeah, wow. well, we'll have to see. I mean, I think he's on his decline at this point anyway. Not that, um, I mean, it's, it was a pretty sudden, if you think about what happened this year in his shooting. but um, And it probably will regress a little bit better to the mean next year. But a guy who's as athletic as him, when it starts to go, it will, you know, his game doesn't translate very well. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Blazers because now they're moving on. And it looks like they're probably going to play Denver. Denver won game five tonight easily. Um, and that usually means they're going to win the series where the game five winner. So what do you think? I mean, did the Blazers get a chance to get to the Western Conference Finals? For sure. And I'm definitely not going to rule out San Antonio yet, but just for the exercise of <laughs> assuming it's Denver. Uh, I mean, the canter defensive issue i think is probably not as bad right just because Jokic just moves so slowly so i feel like i feel like you got two guys in cement shoes there so they can't run away from each other too much but obviously Jokic as a pick and pop guy is pretty amazing so mm-hmm. uh you know i i don't think the canter defensive matchup thing is much as big of an issue both of these teams are relying on you know some really potent but streaky shooters and then they have a bunch of really good, like they're. I feel like they're pretty, uh, pretty similar teams. Dame obviously is the best scorer out of all those guys. So if it's kind of like a night like this, it comes down to who's the best scorer on the floor. You know your answer there. But I'm really excited for this matchup. Yeah, I mean Jamal Murray. I, I mean you know he hasn't had the experience of going to the second round. Uh, and I think he's going to have his hands full, uh, you know. But you get you're right. CJ and uh, Gary Harris are kind of like very similar in, in you know in you know ability. Uh, now the thing was interesting about Cantor. We were looking at it this morning uh, about his pick and roll defense because I was wondering if Donovan was properly attacking that, and they did do their share of bringing him up and getting him involved. And you know what? He made plays, and he wasn't horrible. He wasn't the guy that Donovan, they caught him on the, remember when they caught him on the bench against Houston saying, I can't play him? He wasn't that guy. And here's the only thing that was different was that when you're, when Russ is, is doing that, you can back up. You kind of want him, I mean, you know, if, you, if he pulls up from even 15, 16, like you're, you're probably okay with that versus him getting all the way to the rim. And Cantor was certainly giving him plenty of cushion, and it worked. You know, they just they couldn't hit. They couldn't get in rhythm. He blocked a shot or two down low. He was grabbing rebounds. So all of a sudden, yeah, Cantor, 
you know, and, and plus when he was doing what he did tonight, like he was putting back shots and he was posting up on the mismatch when they would force switches. So all of a sudden he's contributing on the offense, uh, offensive end enough that it, whatever he does, that's poor on the defensive end gets, it's mitigated. And it really, it's, it's a, it's startling because everyone thought for sure that with Nurkic gone, uh, it, it would be such a weak spot for them. And it hasn't. You know, what's funny is you mentioned uh, how they were sacking off of Russ very late in the game tonight in the fourth quarter, I guess last night for the listeners, they it was Russ and PG were running pick and roll with each other, mm-hmm. and McCollum kept going under the screen yeah. over and over and over again. And they did it until the point that like they just kept moving the screen in, like two feet, two feet. I was wondering if they were going to just do it all the way until they got to the baseline, <laughs> and then he would just take a layup. But I, I'd never really seen that happen before. They just refused to go over the screen on Russ, and that's just they don't have the luxury of doing that with uh, Jamal Murray out there right? or or Monty Morris out there or Will Barton if he's going to run pick and roll. So it's like Denver, they're just they're so much better shooting across the board and it just presents, I think, so much more. Portland has to be way more physical at the point of attack while like I feel like against Oklahoma they were kind of trying to sit back just to make sure they didn't get blown open down the middle. So it's going to be definitely a little bit more challenging, I think, for them to defend against Denver just because Denver has I mean Denver usually is going to put out a lineup of five guys that's going to be able to hurt you offensively or four guys plus Mason Plumley who's just kind of like jumping over everybody all the time so it's going to be a lot more of a complex issue to solve but I mean I don't know I just don't know I don't know if Portland has the defensive discipline to be able to keep track of everything especially just when Jokic is really kind of flinging around. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, Denver's just so crafty with the way they sneak little cuts in there, and then Jokic just makes that pass. It's, and, you know, Portland isn't going to – I guess they're going to have Harkless, so they are going to have, like, a smart interior rotation guy. But, like, he obviously isn't nearly as good of a stopper as Nurkic is. Mm-hmm. So you know that Cantor's not going to be very helpful in that regard. Right. And, you know, Aminu can also make plays. I'm not, like, ecstatic about him. Good but he, he does make plays on the defensive end, and he did tonight – uh, so they, they ha- it's going to be a it should be a really good series. It should be a pretty great like even matchup. Uh, you know Portland's offense is so clever that what I get frustrated with sometimes is when they when Dame or CJ just start to do their ISO thing and real and they and they'll hit some shots, but man, are those hard? And the deeper you get in the playoffs, the the less of those shots you want to take if you can not take them. And uh, that's that's going to be a challenge for them to see if they can avoid uh, getting lured into that trap because certainly Denver is a good enough defensive team that they will make those shots as hard as possible. And, uh, you know, how many bullets do you have in your chamber before they run out? And Denver is good at defending at all three phases. You know, they have good rim protection with Millsap. They're a smart defensive team out on the perimeter, and they communicate and help well so you can't just get wide-open mid-range shots. So... I don't think, you know, like this isn't one of those matchups where Dame, I think, could just like go off. Like they need to work the system. They need dribble penetration to open up those weak side shooters. They have to, they have to put Denver on their heels rather than just relying on Dame and having Denver come to them and Dame working his magic. Right. I agree. Well, you know, it all could be moot when uh, the Spurs actually win the series in seven. So <laughs> we'll find that out, uh, I guess. In a then we'll do our days. Derek White podcast finally. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he, he didn't look great. I didn't see the last bit because it ended up being a blowout, but um, he didn't look great. Although Murray looked really good. So we'll see. But nonetheless, Jared, great podcast. Uh, again, just uh, I, I glad we could do it because I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to go to sleep without uh, – uh, Finishing our practice with a little uh, ceiling in our practice, with a little uh, talk about what happened tonight. 
it's funny. It's 3 a.m. here in Boston, and I'm completely wide awake. I could probably do another podcast if we had to, but <laughs> I, I I need to eat dinner. So All right, go you go eat dinner. Now. I got to edit this video uh, ASAP so I can get it up and fresh for the morning. But uh, awesome. Well, I'll see you uh, back in a few days, and we'll keep going over more stuff. What do you say? That sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, sports fans. And don't forget, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm in Dave time. <laughs>